SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome to hour number two of the morning after on a Wednesday right here on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, channel 159, the home for SportsGrid radio on Sirius XM. And all across the SportsGrid network, I am Ben Stevens. In hour number two, a great guest list for you to go around the sports landscape. The official retirement of Tom Brady and what's next in Tampa Bay and what the response was in the greater Boston area as well. We also look around the association, the trade deadline coming up in the NBA and some big action last night leading to some bigger storylines today in the NBA. But the biggest storyline right now in the world of sports coming out of the NFL, Brian Flores' class action lawsuit against the National Football League, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos. And again, we lay out the lawsuit for you here and the major components of what Brian Flores is alleging against the National Football League in racial discrimination in hiring processes. So, here is what Brian Flores is arguing against the New York Giants in the fact that an exposure by Bill Belichick and mistakenly giving information to Brian Flores and confusing Brian Flores with Brian Dable about the Rooney rule being used as a way to check off a box in the interview process for Brian Flores and what the lawsuit is claiming was a sham interview against the Miami Dolphins. It was that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered allegedly $100,000 to Brian Flores to tamper with and tank football games in order to improve the Dolphins' draft stock, obviously calling into question the integrity of the game within the National Football League and does not paint a great picture for Stephen Ross moving forward as the owner of the Miami Dolphins. And against the Denver Broncos in the interview process back in the 2019 offseason that they conducted an unprofessional interview showing up over an hour late and looking disheveled from the night before. That is what the lawsuit claims. This is the statement from Brian Flores as it pertains to what he is doing now in this class action lawsuit against the National Football League, the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Broncos. The statement from Brian Flores is as such, and I quote, God has gifted me with a special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals. In making the decision to file the class action complaint, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game I love and has done so much for my family and me. My sincere hope is that by standing up against systemic racism in the NFL, others will join me to ensure that positive change is made for generations to come. That is the end of the quote from Brian Flores. We had legal analyst and sports betting attorney Daniel Wallach on in the first hour of this show here on the morning after to provide wonderful context to the magnitude of this lawsuit. One that Daniel says we have not seen in the history of the National Football League pertaining around the Rooney Rule. And as described in the update in 2021, the Rooney Rule requires NFL organizations in the hiring process of head coaching vacancies to interview two minority candidates externally outside of the organization in an effort to diversify their hiring processes. So this claim from Brian Flores that the Rooney Rule was used as a way to check a box in a sham interview by the New York Giants exposed by text messages from Bill Belichick show receipts that Brian Flores 
has with him. The NFL also offered their response to these claims yesterday, saying, quote, the NFL and our clubs are deeply committed to ensuring equitable employment practices and continue to make progress in providing equitable opportunities throughout our organizations. Diversity is core to everything we do, and there are few issues in which our clubs and our internal leadership spend more time. We will defend against these claims which are without merit. As Daniel explained in that opening hour, as we first welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here, the second hour of the morning after here on The Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, our terrestrial radio affiliates, I am Ben Stevens. The lawsuit of which we have not really seen in the National Football League, Brian Flores alleging racial discrimination and hiring practices against the NFL, the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos. Sports betting analyst and legal analyst, Daniel Wallach joined us in the opening hour of the morning after and explained that we have not seen a lawsuit like this and that when the NFL says, and quote, we will defend against these claims which are without merit, the idea of having evidence in those text messages from Bill Belichick, if real and substantial, they do carry some weight to show there is an ability to get past that idea that this claim is without merit and because we are a sports betting network and that is what we do here on the morning after and sports grid of course we present things from the actual x's and o's wins losses and against the spread numbers and you can look at the track record for brian flores in his three years in miami over a 50 percent cover percentage in each of those three seasons with the dolphins so if you bet on flores and miami you were profitable over the course of his three years. Even in the tanking season of 2019, in which they lost their first seven games, they rallied to win five of their last nine, booked as an underdog in all 16, nine, and seven against the number. In 2020, that season for the Miami Dolphins, an 11-5 ATS record, the best cover percentage across the entire National Football League. And then this past season in 2021, a 9-8 straight-up record, 9-7-1 against the number they won their first game lost the next seven won seven straight after that and then split their final two 2020 and 2021 back-to-back -back winning seasons for the miami dolphins that is what brian flores orchestrated for the first time since the 2003 campaign in miami if only records speak for themselves it pretty much shows that brian flores is a pretty darn good football coach we look around the other storylines from the national football league the fallout from the retirement officially of Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. We do that next year on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Back right here on the morning after on Sports Grid and Sirius XM, Channel 159. I am Ben Stevens. Early yesterday, we got the breaking news and the official retirement announcement from Tom Brady. After 22 seasons in the NFL, he was stepping away from the game on his own terms. A seven-time Super Bowl champion, six with the Patriots, one with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year in 2020. So joining us now from that Tampa Bay perspective, one of the hosts of Locked On Buccaneers, it is James Yarko here 
to describe what the future holds for Tampa Bay in the rest of this offseason. James, we were joking in the commercial break that last year was kind of ho-hum. Most of the team was returning, pretty much all the starters, the coaching staff, following a Super Bowl victory. We knew what we were getting. This offseason is going to look a lot different there for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We appreciate your time here on this Wednesday on the morning after. Oh, it's it's my pleasure to join. And yeah, there's there's a lot of questions surrounding this team now with I guess the semi-expected retirement of Tom Brady. You know, the, the Buccaneers knew it was gonna be a rental, right? They they initially gave him the two year deal. He extended into a third year to free up some money and, and bring all of the, the starters from the Super Bowl back. And that gave Buccaneers fans optimism that, you know, maybe he is going to legitimately play to that forty five year old benchmark that he had uh, talked about earlier and you know, it just it wasn't to be, and and so now the Buccaneers have to look behind door number two, as Bruce Arians so famously uh, called it when they started the search for Tom Brady just two years ago. So, James, it wasn't necessarily shocking yesterday because of the reports that we had on Saturday afternoon, but when that hit officially yesterday morning, what was your first reaction? Uh, this stinks. <laughs> was was really my first reaction and uh you know it's it's just because of the question marks right the buccaneers don't have a whole lot of cap space to begin with and they they needed to bring back chris godwin who is an elite level receiver in the nfl you were hoping they could bring back leonard fournette who really asserted himself as being the running back that so many believed he could be when the when the jacksonville jaguars drafted him so high there's questions in the secondary with free agents uh, coming up there, I mean, the, the Buccaneers only have, uh, you know, I think it's 42 guys under contract and, and a lot of their starters are free agents. Now, with the limited cap space, you also have to look for a quarterback, right? And there's not a lot of options in the free agent pool. You know, do you bring back Jameis Winston? I sincerely doubt it. Uh, so now you have to look into trading for someone and the big names, of course, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, Russell Wilson seemed unhappy last offseason but those are both teams in the nfc that you would have to pay a premium and likely would not get him so it just it's going to take a lot of maneuvering it's going to take a lot of uh very creative management to be able to get that cap number down and, and find a quarterback that can still win with a really solid core that the buccaneers have a young solid core mind you so they they still have the opportunity to compete and to win but the biggest question is going to be who is under center and that quarterback position, are there any options currently on the Buccaneers roster, or do you think it will be a new name in Tampa Bay come the 2022 NFL campaign? I think they're going to look for a new name. Honestly, they drafted Kyle Trask in the second round last year. They like uh, the development of Trask, and, and Jason Light spoke with us yesterday and, and said that, you know, they're, they're, they're lucky they got Trask where they did because you compare him to this year's crop of quarterbacks and he's right there with all of them. So, you know, you would have liked to have seen another year of development of Kyle Trask under a guy like Tom Brady. So I think if they have to, yeah. they would trot Kyle Trask out there and see what they have and, and kind of view it as a year where there's so many questions in the NFC South with the Panthers, with the New Orleans Saints, who are without a head coach and a quarterback right now. You you have Matt Ryan on the decline in Atlanta there. So it's possible that they could go out there and still make the playoffs with Kyle Trask under center, but you could kind of see what you have with him. But I truly believe the Bucs are going to search every avenue that they possibly can 
And my gut instinct is that they bring in somebody from the outside to try to maximize on the talent that they still have in-house right now. James, what's fascinating to me is that the NFC South is going to look a whole lot different from this year and in decades past as we have known, and it was a division that the Bucks won this year, a 13-4 overall record in the regular season, 9-8 and eight against the spread, and Tom Brady certainly walked out as still at the top of his craft. So when you look back on the 2021 season, as you start to look forward, how do you make sense of the future direction of the Buccaneers? I think they're still moving in a positive direction. You have such a great core with, you still have Mike Evans there who provides incredible leadership and, and he's still a vastly underrated wide receiver for what he brings to this team. You have a solid offensive line. You have Ryan Jensen and Alex Kappa going into free agency, but you drafted Robert Hainsey who can come in and play center. You have Aaron Stinney, who was the guard in place of Alex Kappa in that Super Bowl run when, when Kappa hurt his ankle. You have an all-pro right tackle. You have Donovan Smith on the left side, Ali Marpet. So you still have that great foundation up front. On the defensive side, you have guys like Devin White and Levante David as, as your interior linebackers. You have Vita Vea, who's an absolute game wrecker. You have Antoine Winfield Jr., on the back end of the defense. So you have a really, really solid core, but there are still some key parts of this team that you have to fill in because of pending free agency and, and guys are surely going to be on their way out. But as you said, the NFC South, given all the question marks with Atlanta, Carolina, and New Orleans, it's a complete toss up as to who could come away as the, the division champ in 2022. Lots of time to, to see how these rosters are constructed and put together. And, and it'll be interesting to see who New Orleans finds to lead their team as the new head coach succeeding Sean Payton. Yeah, four coaching vacancies still remain in the NFL. The New Orleans Saints, one of them. And Sean Payton has been a staple for New Orleans and the NFC South over the past decade and a half. So, James, it's interesting because we always look at the odds here, right? And the Bucs had the second-best odds to repeat as Super Bowl champs entering the 2021 season. They were the odds-on favorites to win the NFC South, the favorites to claim another conference championship in the NFC. I'm not going to make you an odds maker here and say who should be the favorite to win the NFC South, but what do you think the prospect truly is for the Bucs as you look forward to 2022? Honestly, I think it's a team race between the Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints, even with the question marks that they have, and, and I've talked about the question marks for the Buccaneers, even with their question marks, you still have Michael Thomas potentially returning. You still have an elite top five defense in the NFL. The defenses can carry you a very long way, and it didn't matter who they had at quarterback when they faced the Buccaneers this year. They absolutely dominated because of how good that defense is. So depending on who the Bucs can get at quarterback, depending on who the Saints trot out at quarterback, I don't have faith that, you know, all of a sudden we're going to see this huge turnaround by Matt Ryan and he's going to look like he did five years ago. I, I don't really have faith in what Carolina is doing both at head coach and at quarterback. So I, I look at it as a, a two-team race between New Orleans and Tampa Bay heading into the 2022 season. It is going to be fascinating. James, I ask you this, only about 45 seconds left. If you could pick one quarterback to play that spot for the Bucs next year, what would that name be? If I could pick one, it would be Russell Wilson. If I had to pick who I think it's going to be, all signs to me right now, gut feeling, 
is that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next season. James, that's where I was hoping you would get to, and that's the name I was hoping you would say. How poetic it would be for Jimmy G to follow in the footsteps of Tom Brady, finally, just as the quarterback of the Buccaneers. James Yarko, the host of Locked On Bucks for the Locked On Podcast Network, providing great insight on what was this year for Tampa and what the direction is moving forward for the Bucs. James, as always, thank you so much for your time. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that was the Buccaneers' perspective, but of course, Tom Brady spent 20 years in New England. We go to Boston with George Belecci up next here on the morning after on SportsGrid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Right back here on a Wednesday edition of the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all across the SportsGrid network, I am Ben Stevens. Now very pleased to welcome on my dear friend and a great sports anchor and reporter for Nesson, right there in the Boston area covering all things New England sports. It is George Belecci joining us from the Nesson studios on this Wednesday morning to break down a whole slew of things in the Boston sports landscape george as always thank you very much for your time the beard it remains looking fantastic that thing, i mean no better way to gas me up than that you're, you're speaking too highly of praise but you look even better man good to see you as always i mean i love the way that we start our introductions here on the morning after you can tell the friendship is sincere and it is real the friendship for a time seemed fractured though george between tom brady and the New England Patriots. And yesterday when Brady announced his official retirement from the NFL following 22 years in the Instagram post that he put out, one of nine slides, none referenced by name, the New England Patriots. So it led a lot of people in the greater Boston area to be like, Tom, did you forget about us? George, when you first saw that Instagram post, did you notice that Tom Brady did not name the New England Patriots? Yeah, right away. That was the first thing that jumped out at me, Ben. And I'm one of the people, look, like, they got their flowers back in 2020 when he left. He said, I'm always going to be a Patriot. He went on and on about his love for them. But I also understand the other side where you're going to write out nine slides. And Tom Brady is one of the best at marketing and media of any pro athlete, of any media personality, of any individual that we've seen. He has an entire team. So you know all of this was planned out, plotted out, pre-written. Let's plan the post, how we want it to look. Right down to like the very font that they used on those notes. And not once in nine slides are you going to at least give a a sentence or a paragraph to the Patriots. Because all he had to literally do was, and I got to think the franchise took a chance on a sixth-round draft pick back in 2000 and stuck with me through a lot of tough years that I won six Super Bowls with to the Kraft family, to Bill, to Bill Belichick, and everyone in between. I love you guys in Patriot Nation. You're the best. I love you. New England always be a part of my heart. That's all he had to say. I literally thought about that at the top of my right. head. Of course, I said it a few times yesterday, rehearsed it before I came on this awesome show today. But that's all it would have taken. So it was surprising, though, because there was literal hate on the airwaves, if you're listening to local Boston talk radio, sports talk radio mm. yesterday, and it goes, all right, all right, all right, pump the brakes. 
because you're going to hate the guy that brought you six Super Bowls because before he got here, yes, Drew Bledsoe and the Ben Coates and the Bill Parcells were building up the Patriots to what they are today. But to make it the most successful NFL franchise of all time, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the Kraft family were the only common denominators throughout that entire span. So you better make sure that you don't hate him and you get it. Could you have given them more? For sure. Was that post a lot about the Buccaneers? Yes. To me, it jumped out. Maybe that showed how much he loved his time in Tampa Bay because I bet his two seasons there made him fall back in love with football, made him fall back in love with the grind because it is not easy to play in New England. But it did jump out at me that he didn't mention the Patriots at all. But you know what? I mean, you say what you want. He came back, Instagram story, posted Patriot Nation. I love you. Thank you for everything. He definitely did, eventually did damage control. And maybe there's going to be a longer video. Maybe there's going to be something in Man in the Arena that we'll see that will give you know, the flowers to the Patriots that he should have, you know, so that did jump out at me. But I think at this point too, it's you wake up today and everything's okay. Tom Brady retired. He brought you six rings. He won a seventh with the Buccaneers. He won all his league MVPs with new England. He took you guys to nine Super Bowls. Like I, I think eventually it gets to the point like, Hey, everything's going to be all right. I mean, you saw that graphic right there. That's the fantastic reporting you can expect from George Blechey because the moment that the Patriots posted that on Instagram and Tom reposted it in his Instagram stories. Yes, these are use words we are using for reporting on one of the most legendary sports figures. George Blechey was all over. And there you see Tom thanking the Patriots in his Instagram stories. That, the context that George Blechey provides. Now, George, you haven't been at Nesson all that long. You haven't been in Boston for all that long, but you have a great sense of the New England sports fan base. Do you think that Tom Brady will go into the Hall of Fame, of which he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, as a Patriot or as a Buccaneer? Dude, he has to be a Patriot. Yeah, he has to go in. I mean, 20 seasons were spent there. His six Super Bowls, his first six Super Bowls, all his league MVPs. He would not be Tom Brady today without the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots would not be what they are today without Tom Brady. So in there, there has to be a mutual mm-hmm. respect that when he goes in, whatever the bust is, whatever he recognizes it as, he's going in as New England Patriot. It has to be done. If that is different, then to me, that takes on a whole nother level of like, all right, what's going on here? I mean, Rob Gronkowski literally just posted a video in tribute to Tom Brady And credit to Gronk and his team because that was the first video that really gave me feels because I think, you know, I just have a soft spot for a bromance like what we have going on on this show every time I hop on, Ben. But he showed a lot of clips of them as New England Patriots. He recognized their times as Pats. So I think when it comes down to that, Tom Brady is going to get a red jacket, which is going to the Patriots Hall of Fame. That number 12 will be retired in Gillette Stadium, and he will get a gold jacket. First battle Hall of Famer should be unanimous in the vote as well. And when it comes to that, and him going and getting enshrined in can, he better be as a New England Patriot. That's for sure. And I'd also like to take a moment to say, Mama, I made it. I am a graphic on the morning after on SportsGrid. Thank you for whoever made that. You guys did a fantastic job. But it comes down to it, too. It's like he recognized you guys. Happy now? Happy? Six Super Bowls? All these years? Spending a lot of time in New England putting up a Bill Belichick? And no matter how good he was still being an effing quarterback that he could get someone better down at, you know, Watertown High School? But... After all that, you happy now? He said, I love you guys. You got it once before in 2020. You'll get it again when he gets enshrined in, what, four or five years when he can enter the battle for the first time. It'll 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 come along. Yeah. Certainly so. Listen, 20 years is a very long time and a long track record of success. Six Super Bowl championships 
with the New England Patriots. One more with the Buccaneers. Seven in total. A three-time NFL League MVP. A five-time Super Bowl MVP. 35 postseason wins. That is what Tom Brady, the GOAT, certainly has done throughout his NFL career. But the football season, George, in the New England area is over. So now the focus shifts to basketball. So let's talk about those Boston Celtics who have been an interesting team to examine throughout this NBA season. But as of late, a much better brand for the Seas. Nine of their last 13 games, a win. And tonight, Boston at home against a good Charlotte Hornets team. And the Celtics, a five-point favorite currently against the buzz and over under up at 225. George, what has impressed you as of late about the play of the Boston Celtics? I think it's been their pace of play, and it goes along with their health too, because Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, and Robert Williams are all on the court together. When those five can play well, it really bodes well for them. Now, they've also won, you touched on what they've done over the last 13 games, four of their last five, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are averaging nearly 60 points per game. Their offensive rating is mm. 116 and a half over 100 possessions. I mean, that's elite basketball. They won by 53, 30, or as close as 10 points. And Marcus Smart has played well. You know, he's been challenged throughout pretty much his whole career, but really this season, is he the right point guard for the Celtics? And he wanted to prove it that way. I mean, they're 11 and 6 this season with all five starters play. But at this point of the season, it's crazy to think that that's only happened 17 times. And given, yeah. you know, they still have a lot to prove. I'm not just going to write up the Celtics as, okay, this is the team that we expected. This is a team that contend, can contend for the Eastern Conference Finals title that can get into the finals because four of these five wins against the Wizards, against the Kings, against the Pelicans, and against a shorthanded Heat. Their loss against the Hawks, who, yeah, just 24 wins on the year, but that's a really young team that has battled early on in the season of – oh, this isn't the NBA postseason. We got to get up for game one of 82. We got to get up again for game 20 of 82, for game 24 of 82, and so on and so forth. But what they what I've seen a lot from them, like I said, I go back to pushing the pace. That's how the Jays thrive. That's how new first-year head coach Ime Udoka wants to play. So when they're playing the basketball that trickles down from head coach to the players, I mean, it proves to be winning for them. And here's been the big thing, too. Jason Tatum, if you ever get to watch him in person, Ben, do so. He's one of my favorite seeing play in person. He's really athletic, makes everything look easy, but he's been challenged to be the leader. Jalen Brown stepped up recently in their wins. He's been the vocal guy on the court. Jason Tatum leads by example. Jalen Brown's leading by his voice, and he's been honest, guys. Let's get prepared for these games. Let's pay attention to the scout. When we have a lead late, let's not give it away, because that's been the big problem for the Celtics this year. So they're turning the quarter. It's against lesser opponents. You mentioned they're playing the Hornets tonight. They play the Nuggets soon, and to me, those are the teams that prove themselves. They're going to play at Philadelphia play the Sixers and Joel Embiid. Those are the games that when they win, then I'll be like, oh, okay. I think the Celtics team is for real. So cool. You beat the Pels. You beat the Kings. All right. You beat the Heat without Jimmy Butler. Cool. But can you beat those really good teams, the Nuggets, the Sixers? Can you beat the Hornets, who are a team to me that are right lock and step with them for a spot in these standings? And I mean, it should be said too, they're just three games the Nets in the Eastern standings. So a playoff spot yeah. is within reach for them, but they really have to get the job done and they have to make it start being consistent now. The Celtics 36 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference, the 7th best odds to do so and a 5-point favorite at home tonight 
against the Charlotte Hornets. That was a Boston breakdown from George Belecci, a sports reporter, host, anchor, anything you need him to do, even an Instagram stories reporter for Nesson there in the greater Boston area. George, any thoughts on Wisconsin, Illinois tonight in Champaign? Man, Jonathan Davis, just hammer him, man. He's he's special. That's an NBA player. I'm amazed at how well Illinois is playing, you know, with Andre Corbello up and down, if he's even in the lineup, Kofi Coburn, how he's been. But I still love the Badgers. They It's, it's nothing should have surprised me, that's for sure. George, we got to get to break, but your analysis is always great. More of the morning after. We're up next here on The Group. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Time to go around the association right here, right now on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all across the Sports Grid network, I am Ben Stevens. Now very excited to welcome on Jake Fisher, an NBA reporter for Bleacher Report, also the author of a wonderful book about the NBA, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, thank you so much for making your debut on the morning after on this <laughs> Wednesday. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me, Ben. Let's do it. So, Jake, you were one of the first people to have the initial reporting about James Harden and maybe his future plans this summer not involving the Brooklyn Nets. As you started to uncover this story, what stood out to you most? Well, obviously, the Nets entered this season as the overwhelming juggernaut to win, or the favorite to win the title. And that is not where they stand today. They currently, I haven't checked the standings this morning, but they currently are around five or six in the Eastern Conference. Kevin Durant, of course, is hurt. Kyrie Irving's part-time status due to his vaccination status um, is obviously preventing him from playing home games, which has left James Harden as the only one of that big three in Brooklyn's games at Barclays Center right now when the Sixers are clearly signaling that they would like to move Ben Simmons to acquire James Harden this summer as he could become a free agent. That is the ever-important context hanging over this trade deadline when it comes to the Ben Simmons trade conversations. So, Jake, do you believe anything will happen in the lead-up to the trade deadline only about a week and a half away in the NBA, or will it play out more in the summer months, in your opinion? This is definitely seeming to be more of an off-season type of uh, theatrics. I, I think all the fireworks that we're going to really see in terms of star talent being moved is going to happen this off-season. That, that's kind of been repeated and reminded to me every time I make a phone call with an executive, an agent, a team person uh, these last couple of weeks that it is unlikely throughout the league's history that we see big-time star trades happen at the deadline. Um, but I also think that the championship outcome of this Brooklyn season is, is very important for, for this particular circumstance. James Harden was dealt to Brooklyn with the goal to win a title. He has not won a championship, of course, in his decorated career, while Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving obviously have. That is the big missing piece in his you know, overall dossier on a Hall of Fame resume, which he will have no issues making that uh, one day. Obviously, that just came up with the baseball world, but... I think to really cement himself along the lines of Dwayne Wade and the other top shooting guards behind Michael Jordan, like winning a title is his goal. 
And if Brooklyn proves to not be the best situation for him to do so that he once expected it to be, that's going to be a very um, important element to his dynamic as well. And Jake, before we dive in to those struggles of the Brooklyn Nets as of right now, you did have some reporting this morning around the Indiana Pacers and what might be coming along that trade deadline. What could be some of the moves that NBA fans should notice over the next week or so around the association? There's a lot that could happen. There's also a lot being discussed that might not as well. So you, you mentioned the Pacers, right? They've been signaling far and wide since December that they're open for business. They would be um, intrigued by the opportunities to potentially swap out guys from DeMontis Sabonis to Miles Turner to Karis LeVert on down the list to Torrey Craig and Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb. Turner's recent stress reaction in his foot has kind of dampened his market, which I think is also – um, why teams like Sacramento and New Orleans and Washington, like I reported this morning, are making calls and, and, and preparing situations to potentially pry DeMontis Sabonis from Indiana. Uh, but just like Sabonis and Turner, you know, the Pacers have, have flirted with moving those guys uh, for years. Jeremy Grant and John Collins in Atlanta, while those two guys are big dominoes that could fall as well, there's no guarantees that the Pistons or Hawks move either of those players um, in addition to those Pacers uh, talent. So we could end up seeing more of a muted deadline where more of the deals end up being types of Karis LeVert types players or Harrison Barnes from Sacramento or the Terrence Rosses and Gary Harris's of the world. But for now, you know, we're still a little over a week left. This is all still posturing, right? Teams are projecting their highest asking price. Um, you know, teams are saying this guy's not touchable. We're not going to move him. A lot can still change here before the deadline comes around on February 10th. So, Jake, back to those Brooklyn Nets and the struggles right now for Brooklyn without Kevin Durant healthy and in the lineup. Streaks at stake last night out in the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. The Suns, winners now of 11 straight. Brooklyn has dropped five in a row as the Suns win last night 121-111 at home over the Brooklyn Nets. What has stood out to you the most about why Brooklyn is struggling at the moment? The biggest reason is obviously Kevin Durant being out. Um, and before that Suns game, you know, that was obviously on the road at Phoenix. I don't think it was necessarily a coincidence that James Harden missed a couple of games um, that were home with a with a strain, with a with a thumb injury. I forget exactly the details were, but magically when they were on the road again at Phoenix when Kyrie Irving would be eligible to play, James Harden returned and and, and they played last night. Obviously they still lost. Um, but, I mean, I think the biggest thing plaguing Brooklyn is the injuries and the inconsistencies in their lineup. Joe Harris still out. And I think people are overlooking how big of a piece that that sharpshooter was going to be in terms of uh, Joe Harris providing spacing for all those guys and their, and their dermal penetration. Jake, it has always stood out to me that despite Brooklyn struggling at times throughout this year, their odds to win both the Eastern Conference and the NBA championship maybe have gotten a little bit longer, but they have not moved from that favorite spot. The favorites to win the East at plus 135 right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, and still the favorites are the Brooklyn Nets to win the NBA championship with the shortest price at plus 300. Why do you believe the Nets are still the favorite at this <laughs> juncture of the NBA season? I think they're listed as the favorite because when healthy, we still have not seen Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving look mortal. That 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 pairing or that that triumvirate 
um, has seemed to be the juggernaut that I mentioned at the top of the show, right? Where they entered training camp as the overwhelming favorites. The, those odds, I, I don't remember what they were off the top of my head, but they were much further um, in, in, in terms of propping up the Nets as being this this all-inclusive, obvious lead dog in the NBA. And we still haven't seen that group. I mean, I think dating back to last season, the, the big three has only has played less than 10 games together. So um, I think the Nets internally and as well as the odds makers, you know, the hope for, for Brooklyn is that once they finally do get those three guys healthy and active and, and consistent playing time together, that there is no team that has the offensive firepower. I mean, this, this was a unit that was putting up literally historic offensive production numbers, the, the greatest offensive rating in NBA history last season. So that is the ultimate upside of this unit if they ever were to get healthy. And I think that distinction you made there, Jake, about listed as the favorite from an odds and predictive standpoint, probably a little bit different than what we are seeing <laughs> right now on the basketball court for the Brooklyn Nets. Jake Fisher, a Bleacher Report NBA reporter, joining us right now on this Wednesday on the morning after. You see the Lakers there, Jake, on the NBA title board at 18-1. to 1. They had the second best odds behind the Brooklyn Nets entering <laughs> this NBA season and have certainly fallen down that board and might fall further down because it seems as though LeBron James will be with or will not be playing for the Lakers for the next couple of games. What do you know about LeBron's health issues at the moment and the injury to that knee? I don't want to say anything too substantive, but this is going to be, from what I've heard, it's going to be something that he's going to manage for at least these next couple of weeks. And just like with Brooklyn, you know, injuries have obviously been something that have been as big of a subplot of this Lakers season and honestly the entire tenure of LeBron James in Los Angeles, especially the LeBron James, Anthony Davis tenure since they acquired him um, before that championship run in 2019-20. Now, I think the biggest issue is obviously that they acquired Russell Westbrook for this particular circumstance, right? The Lakers were searching for a third star and particularly a ball handler, a floor general type of player that could organize the offense and really shoulder a massive usage rate and facilitation role when LeBron was either injured or arresting. And this is kind of happening, this being LeBron's injury here, at kind of the peak of the evaluation standpoint of the success of Russell Westbrook in Los Angeles, right? We've heard these conversations yeah. about the Lakers kind of exploring trade opportunities for Russ, and they have been limited outside of a potential Houston Rockets deal. You know, I, I personally pitched a Russell Westbrook framework to several Knicks employees this week, and they laughed me off the phone. They said, there's no way that we would entertain doing something like that. So um, I, I think this ultimately is going to be a really key moment to see if this Russell Westbrook experiment can take any turn for the better in Los Angeles. Not great being laughed off, off the phone when you bring up Russell Westbrook, but that might be what the Lakers are dealing with right now. So Los Angeles, Jake, now three games below 500. It has also been a disappointing season for the Portland Trailblazers. The Lakers host the Blazers tonight as a three and a half point favorite. What do you make of that matchup in LA this evening? It's a team, it's a matchup of two teams that are performing well below expectations. And the Blazers have uh, played a little bit better of late. They got CJ McCollum back. Anthony Simons has kind of gone on this big explosion in his, his kind of pseudo contract year ahead of his extension talks this summer but they've lost Nasser Little since, and, and trade speculation continues about Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic and McCollum as well, and even Norman Powell. So 
every game here for the Blazers is important being that I think every game internally has impact on how they will decide whether to fully be sellers or if they're going to continue to make moves with the goal of being better this season. And I know several rival teams are monitoring that situation to wonder if Portland inches closer to deciding whether or not to eventually part with CJ McCollum here. Both teams 21 and 30 against the spread. Both the Blazers and Lakers tied for the third worst cover percentage in the NBA. Maybe not a game you want to bet on, but if you've been betting <laughs> on the Phoenix Suns, well, it's been good because they've won 11 straight games. And now, Jake, for the first time, we're starting to see some movement at the top of the Western Conference odds board on the FanDuel Sportsbook. The Warriors still a slight favorite at plus 230, but the Suns just 20 cents behind at plus 250. How do you see the Western Conference playing out the rest of this NBA season? Well, I'm not a gambler, but looking at this board and seeing Memphis at plus 1300 would be a very tasty mm. prospect if I did put money on the NBA. Um, I think... You know, with the Jazz right now having injury concerns, with, I mean, Rudy Gobert has not been there, and they've tumbled. Their defense has fall, plummeted to 29th at one point. I, I don't know if it's still there, but it hasn't hasn't been great. Um, obviously, Golden State and Phoenix have, have kind of paced this thing from, from the jump here and the Suns dating back to last season, right? Um, but the Grizzlies are a team that you talk to any executive, any coach, any any person who, who makes their living in the NBA, they're taking the Grizzlies seriously. The Grizzlies have a couple of moves up their sleeve. They're not going to make any dramatic changes, I, I don't think, here. They're not going to be in the Jeremy Grant sweepstakes, if you will. But they could do a little thing here or two on the margins to push them even closer to that top tier. And the Grizzlies are for real. They got John Morant as an all-star starter. I, I am not counting out Memphis to make some trouble in the Western Conference. The Grizzlies, a four-point road favorite tonight, not far away from us here in Midtown Manhattan at the Garden against the New York Knicks. Jake Fisher, a Bleacher Report NBA reporter, also the author, once again, of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake, thank you so much for your expertise and insight all across the NBA this Wednesday morning. Thank you for the hospitality. Of course. As always, you are welcome back at any time. We close out our number two on the other side of the break right here on The Grid. Stay with us on the morning after. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Our second hour here on a Wednesday on the morning after comes to a close on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 159, the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. I am Ben Stevens. A great NBA analysis and breakdown there from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report, a wonderful NBA reporter that went around the entire league, both Eastern and Western Conference, to give you the perspective you need. Obviously, football is winding down. You're probably starting to pay more and more attention to the NBA, but we're past the 50 game point for the most part across all of the association. There's 82 games in this regular season. Only a couple weeks out from the All-Star break, things are ramping up in the NBA, both in conference standings and with the league overall, but also with the NBA MVP race, and that market has been changing. We take a look at those moving odds right now and guess the line.
And as of this new week, as of the start of this new month of February, there is a new favorite atop the NBA MVP board on the FanDuel Sportsbook. He plays his basketball in Philadelphia, and he has been on a tear as of late. Joel Embiid, now the favorite on FanDuel at plus 230 to win the NBA MVP. You see Nikola Jokic just behind, a dollar behind at plus 330. That would be a second straight for the Joker in terms of most valuable player. Giannis and Steph tied for the third best odds at plus 410. And if the Grizzlies have been shooting up the Western Conference, so too has John Morant in the NBA MVP market. He is currently 10 to 1, the fifth best odds to win this award. Just last week, Joel Embiid was plus 350, the third best odds behind both Giannis and Steph to win the NBA MVP. I think he stays at plus 230 for a little bit more time, especially on this tear that he is on. But I would expect to see Giannis and Ja, their odds to get shorter and shorter as we guess where these lines might go in the NBA MVP market. Hour number three, a very happy hour of the morning after is up next here on Sportsbook.